Sarah, and welcome to Design Assembly Conversations. In this series, we talk to New Zealand designers, hear their stories, and celebrate their work. I'm Louise, and today I'm talking to Emma Kanyuk and Tana Mitchell from Akin. Emma and Tana co-founded Akin in 2015, a strategic design studio focused on creating engaging, seductive, and effective brand solutions that grab people's attention and hearts. Previous to starting Akin, they both spent time at DesignWorks. Emma has also worked at Special Group in Auckland and Sydney, and Tana has worked at studios in Auckland, Wellington, and overseas in New York and Berlin. They have been awarded for their work at the Best Awards with Purple Pins, and overseas in the Agda Awards, DNAD, and Design Week Awards, amongst others. Kia ora, Emma and Tana. Thanks so much for joining me today. Well, we're having this conversation amongst um, very different times in New Zealand and the world, in fact, um, with COVID-19 affecting us all in our day-to-day lives and in our work as well. But today we're um, recording a DA podcast with you, DA Conversations, um, as per the usual format. And I wanted to keep recording these um, throughout this year, 2020, as I'd planned to, as a source of inspiration share our collective experiences and knowledge and to continue to archive our design practice and designers here in New Zealand. So I'll start at the beginning um, for both of you by asking you, um, Emma, where do you come from? How did you get into design? Um, Kia ora, uh, Lou. Thanks so much for having us. To answer that first question, um, I'm one of those rare locals. I was born and raised in West Auckland, the old Waitakere City Council, uh, which I guess felt quite free and untamed at the time, um, prior to much of the suburban sprawl. Uh, I remember as a child seeing wild horses running around um, from the windows. And I don't really know, I don't think I knew what the options were growing up. I wanted to be so many different things. Off the top of my head, a courier driver, a nurse, a lawyer, and it definitely wasn't design. Um, design wasn't really even a subject back when I studied at school, and nor was it really talked about in my household or valued, I think, at all in a way that I would have been able to understand it. Um, at school, I did subjects like technical drawing, um, where I was the only girl in the class. Uh, I did CAD, which had just kind of started um, on really old, um, antiquated computers. Uh, where I passed because uh, the angle poise lamp that I was trying to render um, crashed the entire system. And so they couldn't really prove that I hadn't done it. Uh, At the time, I think everyone else was doing things like pens and cups. And then in seventh form, I had a teacher, Naomi Bell, who started a design elective. And that was the first time I really came across the idea of design. Um, And she was super enthusiastic and supportive and had so much energy for all of us. And I think I just fell in love with it and her energy for it um, and her curiosity in that way of seeing the world. So that was kind of how I came into graphic design. Um, She encouraged me to apply to Unitech, which I did um, back in the day where you had to um, apply with the portfolio and an interview. Uh, And I definitely thought I had failed both of those, but I got in um, and was given a scholarship into the industrial design course, which I rejected, which seems crazy to me now, but at the time I was so focused on getting into graphic design. So I luckily did, studied at Unitech for um, four years and then got a, um, 
a fellowship into design works and that is where I started my career and that's where I met Tana. <laughs> and Tana, um, where do you come from? How did you get into design? Well, mine's a much more um, ambling tale. It wasn't quite so um, direct. I, I'm, I'm English. So I was born in England. Um, I grew up in a council estate in um, Canterbury in Kent. And um, we emigrated to New Zealand when I was in my early teens. I've always, I've always loved art in the broader sense of the word. Um, anything kind of creative, whether it's fashion or, or fine arts or craft. Um, I, I just didn't know that there was a career available. So I went to university to study law um, and I did a double major thought I was going to do a double major of law and a Bachelor of Arts, but the, the arts took over. So I ended up with a BA in English Literature and Art History from Victoria University. Um, and from then worked in museums and galleries around Wellington. Um, and it was then that I kind of realised that potentially design on was something that I could meld with my love of art history and my art history degree. So thinking about maybe um, exhibition design. So I went back to school um, and um, engaged in a um, design degree. So design was actually my second degree, is my second degree. And um, I started off thinking I would do interior industrial, but when I started actually doing graphic design, I, I, just, I just loved it so much, the actual doing, um, you know, the actual handcraft at that point. So and that was at, um, that was at Massey University, but when I enrolled, I think it was still the Wellington Polytech. So I was there for a long time because um, I ended up doing it part-time because through my connections with the art world, I started working at a small firm called iWork Design and um, then finished my secondary degree part-time. Mm. So, yeah, quite a, a roundabout way. It's interesting that we both kind of maybe brush paths with industrial design. What's yeah, I think it's kind of about it being an easy in, like furniture, objects. Mm, like yeah. I think graphic design, you know, 20 years ago was an abstract concept. Like, you know, people would say, are you doing advertising? No. Are you doing fashion? No. You know, it, was, it wasn't really until I, I think kind of probably the last 10 years that people actually understood it as a discipline because it wasn't really um, formed in, a, in, you know, in the general um collective consciousness it was more it was too abstract kind of like you know we draw letters why mm. <laughs> why would you do that our logos okay I understand and can you tell us about um who else or what else inspired you as a young practitioner practitioner if there are any designers in particular I remember actually the lack of many women in senior roles mm. um in the industry at first kind of confused me or at least the lack of visibility of them and I guess maybe that was quite that fact in itself was quite a motivator for me for how I've built my career and how we've kind of built Akin as well um, and what I've wanted to achieve and so that was possibly an early motivator in a roundabout sense. Um, for me like my, my brother was really pivotal and actually finally like pointed me in the um in, in the area of graphic design like he was very encouraging and even paid for some of my school which is very nice of him. Thank you, Dane. Um, but, it, and he encouraged me to go to London um, in my second year of design school and I did an internship at Meta Design, which was Eric Speakman's English office. And there I had, um, like, very early on, my eyes open to, like, strategic development and different ways of thinking and um, design as a, um, you know, as, as a, a math 
of, of, of concept in terms of like it's not just for an aesthetic, it's for an outcome. And so I was really influenced by that, but also by a very German um, aesthetic at that point. Not that I think that my design's very German, but just kind of understanding the discipline um, and the history that kind of led to, I guess, that point, which was quite different to what was popular at the time. So that was kind of a big influence on me, but from both ends, from an aesthetic end and also from um, kind of like a process kind of end. So coming back to New Zealand to finish my degree, I kind of um, had already had that kind of very big, important kind of influence. These days, I guess the internet and social media makes it so easy to see everyone else's work as well, which is both a blessing and a curse in its own way. And I guess now I, I'm, definitely feel that I'm trying to challenge myself on thinking about whose voices that I'm not hearing or not seeing as well. And outside of, you know, trying to stay outside of the internet and get outside of those usual places, do you have, um, you know, places that you kind of go to to look for that inspiration? Say reading or, um, you know, getting out into other art forms or... I mean, I think for, for me, you know, if there's such a thing as an observational comedian, I'm an observational designer, in that, like, I really sponge my environment, which is possibly why lockdown has been so difficult for me because my world has all of a sudden become very small. Mm -hmm. I could be influenced from someone I see eating um, some takeaways on Lawn Street or um, a colour combination a young kid is wearing. Like, I really think that it's the world around me and, and the world that I live in is... Um, kind of very artistic in that my my husband's an artist and um, like my community is kind of in in that world from design and art and music. So I kind of feel like my community and the world around me are really kind of like key to how I get inspired. Mm. And do you um, collate that in a notebook in any form or? No, I just sit in my head. <laughs> I, I have these notions that I'm going to write it all down and have this amazing notebook. And I even buy notebooks at like at least one every year. And it's like, it's all, it's going to be like my memoir. And I'll look back and I'll be, I remember that time you saw the kid with the weird jumbo sock combo and that influenced that. But no, it, it's, it's way more fluid and organic than that. Like some things that you see that resonate stay with you for a reason. And I think if you have to note it down, it's almost like, um, exercise in it to the point where it's gone so I think it's much nicer to, to just kind of like an Emma and I talk a lot so I'll be like oh I saw this thing and then she'll jump in with something that she's thought about and it's a very kind of organic fluid kind of way of thinking and it's um, about ideas and it's about aesthetics and kind of bringing those two things together and throwing them around and just kind of oh, I, I read I read an article I saw a thing and then the conversation that kind of leads from that yeah, it's that merging of all of those things in the same way that I guess memory kind of merges too and you start creating new kind of versions of the things that you've seen or mashing various versions together. And maybe that's where kind of that magic or those sparks start to happen. And so having that kind of working as a partnership then must be important to your process in that respect and having that person to have those conversations with and, and um, go down those pathways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also it's really important to have someone you trust that can can tell you that it's rubbish as well. <laughs> or see it from a different perspective or see it bigger. Uh, um, maybe don't be stupid. <laughs> 
so polite though so polite um yeah and and that can be anything from us sharing random photos we've taken or memes on like our um akin whatsapp to kind of conversations that start somewhere and then meander and end up over wines and kind of go on for an evening and so just to go back to kind of your um early career early days as designers and can you tell us about um, a project or um, an experience that stands out for both of you um, that went on to kind of influence your trajectory? Well, that's a hard one. There's so many, so many things. But I, I think um, if I'm kind of thinking about really early career, like the two the two design um, studios that I worked for, um, Method Design in London and iWork Design in, in Wellington was so incredibly different. So it was probably the, the difference between those two that kind of opened up my world. So if matter was very strategic and very German and like, and I really enjoyed that in terms of, um, I remember working um, on a campaign for Orange, the um, mobile phone company, and we just went out into the world and um, explored and experimented with um, technology and concepts that didn't potentially have any, any proof in that we didn't know that they were possible, but it was really open thinking. Um, and the way we put that together in terms of presentation and thinking that, wow, is this design? Like it's it's a way of thinking about it in its broadest terms. And then coming back to iWork, um, which pretty much service the arts community in Wellington across um, theatre, art, fine art, um, and, and music, was just getting back to that, like, straight craft so I remember um designing the identity with Tim Parkin who's I think still a lecturer at um uh, Massey University now but he was at iWork at the time it, it was all about drawing and scanning and then tracing and drawing and scanning and so it was kind of like back to this very hands-on rugged kind of tactile approach and that was for the Frida Kahlo exhibition catalogue that um was one of the first catalogues I did so it was kind of and those two those two um polars of design have always been the things that I've oscillated between ever since because you know there are so many ways to be a designer in um in the world now today everything's designed that um it's good to have all of these different ways of being and doing and so that kind of was entrenched very early through those two experiences and Emma, can you think of a, a project or an experience that influenced you, you early on? Yeah, I don't know if this counts as young, and I feel like time and the years are super slippery. Um, but one that stands out in my memory is Kamakola, which is the New Zealand Fair Trade Organic Soda. Um, and I, that kind of sticks out for me because I remember um, Simon Coley, the client, coming into the office to brief us um, at the time. It was at Special, so Heath and myself and saying quite clearly that he wanted to take on Coca-Cola. And I really remember that so vividly, that someone in New Zealand saw the potential in their product or their idea, not only of taking on other competitors in the market itself, but actually taking on the world in the status quo and doing that so kind of bravely and confidently. And I was really inspired by that. Um, and I can definitely see how I've taken that thinking into projects um, and side hustles. Uh, mm. and kind of just um, I guess maybe that was the first time I really had a truly kind of collaborative respectful um, time, way of working with not only clients in a really close way but also a, a bunch of um, in that case illustrators so bringing lots of other people into the creative process and really opening it up and I really enjoyed that. Bringing it forward to talking about kind of 
like yourselves working as a kin now. Can you tell us a little bit about what your um, day-to-day looks like within the studio and do you have any rituals? We kind of laughed about this <laughs> and said, yeah, our one ritual was lunch. Um, yeah. The fact that we start discussing that pretty much the minute we arrive, um, that is probably for me the most consistent ritual that I can think of. Um, and I guess the other thing that, I mean, this is not getting into so much day to day, but um, the fact that we have always like celebrated our wins as well, it's super important to remember the fun times and the good times and actually take a moment um, to look back and reflect on things in a really positive way. I think there's also, um, I mean, we do have some lovely rituals and, and lunch is very important and anyone that comes into the studio and works um, with us in our space for understand that if they're there, they're there for lunch um, and part of the conversation. But I also like um, the lack of ritual as well. I like the openness in ways of doing and being open to like if you feel like working at home work from home if you um if you want to spend a 15 hour day at the coalface at the studio because you put that into something then knock yourself out it's actually about having for me that flexibility to talk when you're talkative um and be quiet when you are feeling um more tentative and just having the opportunity to be responsive to where you're at in a project and where you're at um that that day as well and to get the best out of you so I think um the rituals that we have are very much about um the community that we have around at Kim in terms of um like making sure that we come together at those moments to have a chat and matter but then um outside of that it's it's really it's really fluid and respectful I think where do where do you both spend most of your time in the creative and design process within a Kim? one of the um things that we do at Akin is that Tan and I are hands-on process. Um, so two of us are hands-on from initial conversations um, with clients um, all the way through to press passing print or overseeing the last few digital kind of pixels moved around on um, an online experience um, and beyond. I mean, we kind of keep in touch and have quite close relationships with our clients ongoing. Um, many of them become friends as well. So I guess that closeness and the big picture view kind of allows us to get really deep and dive in with our clients. Yeah, are, are there the entire time and that's probably quite a big point of difference. We don't hand off to anyone else at, at any point. So on any one day we could be working through strategy or working up um, estimates or scoping out a project or... Uh, working on a logo. <laughs> Art working logo. We actually sometimes we kern together. That is a moment that occasionally <laughs> in a kin we are known to kind of yeah. That's kind of a ritual actually. Yeah. That's a ritual. Yeah, we could move that up to the question above, um, where we post put things up on the wall and, and post them up upside down and stare at them together for hours. Um, nudging back and forward. Things back and forward and up and down yeah. and, and making decisions and then unmaking them and yeah yeah the fact that we we are there the whole way through is really important. And I think um, if we get more skewed one way than another, say if one of us is doing more strategy than um, craft, then it, things start to feel out of balance. So we try and keep it even between us as well in terms of um, making sure that we're doing um, equal share across the um, across the board. And um, it just means that for, for our clients that we 
like one of us or actually often both of us are so in in depth into their project at at, at any point we rec- we can recall and respond to any query that they have because we're um yeah we're that across it which um I think they like is that something that you consciously created and and want to keep going forward with um you know because I know a lot of designers as they kind of progress in their career would naturally head more towards kind of that management and um, the strategic I, side of it. I've fought really hard to avoid doing that um, because I think for, for me and you know there are lots of different models um, you know the the natural like you say the natural kind of progression is that you end up managing a team and directing and whereas I um, really love collaboration um, directing um, is Kind of, it, it's it's not my first love because if you're not fully engaged and fully involved, I don't really know how much value you're, you're giving. Like we have Sienna who works in the studio with us, and we um, spend a lot of time with her talking through um, what she's doing. But we we consider her a collaborator, not but you know she's a designer who we collaborate with as opposed to someone that we're directing her viewpoint and her design aesthetic are really important, and it's about working with her. About around what she wants to achieve um, within the studio. So, yeah, I think for us, it's well, it's really important to stay hands on. Sometimes it can be exhausting, but the the potential for disconnect with um, account managers and handoff across those moments can be yeah can be hard to get back into the swing of the thing yeah. and also um which doesn't mean that we don't work with strategists and people that do different parts it's just that we're across everything it's quite nice I think um Tana because it really um you know comes back to what you were saying earlier about like your early experiences with between um iWorks and, and um, Meta and this intersection of um, craft and thinking yeah and enjoyed and carried through you can do both, you know, you don't have to choose. I've never been good at choosing, and neither is Emma, actually. We always laugh that um, if you give, give Emma an, an A or a B, she'll just choose both. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that's kind of the thing that we both got into design for is that kind of love of craft. Um, and I really love being on the tools and whiling a whole entire day away, nudging type around a page. But I also equally love jumping in a room with clients and robustly debating out ideas or directions or a business plan with them um, and getting into that kind of nitty gritty uh, and having, yeah, having that balance, I think, is what it keeps. And it, it, it also means that when you're you're pushing the type around, you're thinking very clearly about the strategy because you worked on it. So it's not that you get delivered um, a strategic brief and then you're kind of responding to it. You actually understand all the nuance of all those words because you've worked really closely um, on resolving those. So you, you know, as, as um, I guess, visual translators, you know, as ex- people who express strategy, having that real kind of first-hand knowledge of what the strategy is just means that we're much sharper when we get to craft and have really rigorous, um, you know, really rigorous reasons for why we do everything that we do. And I guess conversely, um, I guess that's how we approach the strategy that we do as well. It's super tangible and creatively led in terms of we understand um, innately where that strategy needs to end up in a tangible tangible visual kind of form so everything we're doing is leading to that point as well so it kind of I think it helps at both ends and you've been akin for five years now um congratulations staying together that long 
Yeah, <laughs> um, it hasn't been quite the seven year itch yet, but <laughs> um, and is there a project that you've worked on together as a kin to date that you know really stands out for you? Oh, so many. Like they, I think for me, they all have such a um, place in my heart for for so many different reasons, and um, and also just kind of like Emma and I working together and we've really developed our own way over and I kind of think it's solidified in probably the last two to three years but the first two years were really fun because we we're like oh you do it like that way and and now oh, this is how I do it and then kind of working out a new way you know between between our different approaches to things so it's been it's been an amazing journey so far and we've worked on so many great projects and we're really lucky to have amazing clientele who clients who um who we, we also like to hang out with. Um, so it's, it's incredibly hard to choose. It's usually, it's usually um, what we're working on right now or what's just been kind of released to market. That's yeah. um, the baby of the moment, wouldn't you say, we'll it? say that? <laughs> yeah, the most important thing to us is whatever we're working on right now until the next thing happens and then it becomes that thing and we get really excited about it. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's really hard to choose. I think we uh, have had such luck to work with um, really awesome clients. We've worked with, both of us have worked with family members as well um, on post hoc um, with Jane and Long Boys with my sister. Uh, and I guess that's been kind of its own kind of exploration and um, sometimes challenging, but also quite amazing to have those relationships. And as Tana said, a lot of our clients feel that like family and friends to us as well. And I guess, yeah, all of those projects that we've worked on that uh, are with people who are super knowledgeable um, in their field and have lots of energy and drive um, and love and passion for what they do are the kind of are the projects, I guess, that we love working on. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. So it's, you know, when you when you, you get a really amazing relationship where you're just pinging off each other, so it's not just me and Emma having that conversation, but it circles the client as well. Like um, the Gavit Brewster campaign that we did um, for this year would be an example of that. You know, you get a brief and you're like, um, this isn't what you need. <laughs> you have conversations about what can be achieved. You know, so it's actually you don't need a rebrand. You need a campaign to celebrate a moment in time. How about that for an idea? And then them getting excited and just kind of basically doing a takeover of the brand for, for this year. So that was a really fun way to kind of like open up a conversation and and have um, conceptual academic conversations around it as well in terms of um, like society and um, the arts right now and what that meant. So do something that's of the moment versus something that needs to last for 10 years because that's quite a different um, discipline as, as we all know. Oh, I guess rents would be another one that would fit that, Emma, in terms of, like, at the other end of the spectrum, two incredibly um, confident young people who came to us to design an RTD for young men, you know, and we, and we, you know, if we're not young men, but, you know, just, like, kind of getting into that mindset and then being really, um, just really open and um, really experimental and really into pushing things out and so giving us an opportunity to do something really fun and um, outside of our area of expertise again, but, you know, well within there. So that so some projects where you get um, amazing um, feedback loop from the client, but also incredible trust and confidence. That's, I think, where you get the best outcome. And we've had, we've had several of those, which is fantastic. 
And we didn't really go into um, how you two actually met. We, Emma, you briefly said you met at DesignWorks, but um, yeah, how did you kind of you know, meet and get to know each other and, and then decide to go into business together? I actually still really clearly remember being interviewed by Tana, um, and that's the first the first time I ever met her was in um, the DesignWorks boardroom back when they were down um, opposite Britomart on Custom Street. Um, and I had to go in and present some work that I had been doing at uni at the time. And I was so incredibly nervous. And another friend of mine, um, Denal, had also actually um, got short- shortlisted for the fellowship as well. And I thought she was, ama- I mean, I still do. She's such an amazing designer. And I pretty much already had, had thought that my um, chances were all over anyway of getting in. Um, and... Yeah, I, I think it was such a surprise to hear. I'm not actually not sure who rang rang me back to say I'd got through. Um, and yeah, so the first kind of year, I guess we were kind of a year and or eighteen months maybe kind of together. Yeah, I think I, I can't quite remember, but it was about a year. Yeah. So we had desks right next to each other. Um, Tana redid a lot of my kerning. That's another kind of memory <laughs> I have. Now we just do it together, but back then, yeah. I would just sneak into your files and just fix them up in a little bit. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> yes, we had, we had kind of we had good fun for that first kind of year and, and worked on some super fun projects. I guess one that I kind of always think back to is the honey packaging that we did together for oh, okay, Yeah, yeah. I rem- yeah. I remember interviewing Emma, and I remember your project too, actually, Emma. And it was well, not in detail, but it was a book and it was editorial, and it was very academic and very complex. Your thinking nice. around um, this information that you were sharing, it was very nerdy, and I loved that. It was so <laughs> nerdy. Yeah, yeah. A lot of chats and process chats and stuff, which I think kind of has become part of the industry more and more now uh in terms of kind of information design but maybe I hadn't come across it then and I yeah I guess I've got um my parents are a school teachers a math teacher and a science teacher so I really I did I did have that nerdy side I did not have so much of kind of the arty poster side in me yet where did you make the leap to um starting a studio together Oh, that's, you know, it's kind of like one of those, like, long-winded stories. Then they, <laughs> separate, they, they need some dumplings and they go on their different journeys. They yeah. weren't ready. And so <laughs> I, <laughs> at that point, I um, I think that was right at the top of the last financial crisis, MRA, and I quit yeah. my job. And, yeah, yeah, because I just started working just as the GFC kind of kicked in. So that yeah. was my first experience of an industry and environment changing quite quickly. And then I think you left. Yeah, I think we did a year, a year and a half together. Yeah. And then I, I basically, I, I left and um, I moved to Berlin and spent a few a few years kind of circumnavigating the globe and working uh, in New York and Berlin and, and then again back home and just kind of slowly building up a little bit of a clientele, mostly to support my travel habits more than anything. Um, but, you know, eventually it got to the point where I couldn't ignore it <laughs> and um, Emma and I had always stayed in touch I always loved what she did I always had a huge respect for um, her work and you know and also we're, we're buds so um, we just kind of like stayed in touch and it kind of started as a, a bit of a joke um, that then became a thing yeah I mean right back at you working with Tana is obviously such a privilege and she's a good friend but also a designer and a, a businesswoman that I hugely admire and respect 
Um, but also back then I was, I was working um, with Heath at Special and that was a pretty amazing, I had such amazing experiences with clients and projects then too. And it was, uh, it was kind of one of those things that really was about timing and, and coming to a point that we both felt it was the right time um, to jump in. And uh, again, I have such clear memories of us basically texting name options back, to in, back and forth between each other and rejecting them over and over for various reasons. Sometimes practical URLs weren't available, sometimes personal preference. A kin came up and that was something that we both kind of loved, fell in love with, loved the idea of the word um, and it was available and we could get it. And I think that's when it felt real that we had a name and therefore it needed to happen. And I think the reason that the, the name felt right in terms of, you know, family and, and familiarity and things that are alike really appeal to uh, collaborative and community sensibility. But um, it also kind of was a softer kind of word. And we like that as well because we um, definitely were aware, and even five years ago, like it's increasingly you can more female presence now, but we were aware that we wanted to have a female head, a female run studio that um, was top of its game because there wasn't many of us out in in the world, especially not in the Auckland community, but even like broader afield. So we really kind of that was a really important thing to us to kind of step sideways and do it the way we wanted to do it, um, and and to do it with profile so that you know potentially we could encourage younger women and do you have um you know does it do you have uh, kind of formalized mentors um with working on a can or informal mentors that you work with yeah I mean I find for me my mentors are left and right they're um my peers rather than um people you know in this imaginary um hierarchy where they sit above us uh, I'm really inspired by the people around me um, that kind of like get up and do things um, in in their different sectors I again I guess it's kind of a little bit like my observational design or observational humor like it's it's really the world I'm in that I get inspiration from whether it's just um, people doing amazing work and just feeling like I want to match it or whether it's um, people sitting outside doing incredible things I love feeling jealous. That's the biggest kind of, um, that's the best and most productive feeling, I think, as a designer, where you see something that one of your peers has done that is just amazing and you have that sense of jealousy when you're just like, you are incredible and I want to I wanna match that. So, yeah, it's usually left or right for me. Like I, I have a couple of people that I have worked with in the past that I love to get their thoughts and feelings from but usually it's a much more um rebellion against rather than you know against other ways yeah. we want to do it we want to do things more collaboratively and more grassroots rather than a kind of more agency structure I mean I've had formal ment- uh, mentors at times usually just to explore different ways of looking at things and that can be both personal or professional um sometimes I think it's just about having someone to remind you of your own strength and that can be really um, invaluable. Um, but, yeah, to Tana's point, I think it's it's the people around us and, honestly, I think my girlfriends are massively supportive and um, all mentors, or we're all co-mentors, I guess, of each other in one way or another. They keep everything real. 
they're cutting um, trails for themselves with equal measures of love and tenacity. I mean, they're total geniuses and they give me daily inspiration. And like Tana says, that kind of, I guess, sense of jealousy can sometimes be a really great motivator to kind of lift your own game and keep going. Um, And I guess people who have chosen or at least um, worked with lives and paths that are less traditional in nature is something that I've always been quite curious about um, and have found uh, really helpful in terms of navigating my own path. And over the years that you've been working in design, um, you know, what change, apart from this year, we were going to see massive changes and shifts, um, but what changes and shifts have you seen in the field of design? I think um, everything's designed now, which could be a good or a bad thing. I'm not sure that everything has to be designed. Like, I I feel like the um, vernacular of the hand done by a non-professional is something that I miss in the world. But it's, it's a society now is very slick. Um, the the veneer is almost impenetrable and everything's kind of thought through and sometimes strategic to the point of being transparent and I don't know if that's a good thing. I, I feel like if we could reverse back out the truck a little bit, we, it might be more interesting and more exciting, more experimental. Yeah, I guess like even just the shift from graphic design, which is what I guess I felt like I studied and what was talked about, um, to branding, which is what kind of seems to be how a lot of things are talked about now as a catch-all and some of it is branding, some of it's design in a a wider sense. Um, And I wonder whether that kind of relentless focus on branding is kind of at its own natural kind of turning point at the moment, Um, especially with tighter budgets, which I imagine will kind of start flowing through, not dissimilar to how things were kind of post um, the GFC kind of encourage companies I guess to think more carefully about when and why they rebrand and be more rigorous about the reasoning about that and also potentially for things to be a bit more fluid and Mm. a little less you know um design thinking has taught us all to iterate and um to um be open to um different to different solutions outside of our own um thinking so you know, what are the opportunities to destructure some of this and make it more organic or more fluid um, and to be more open to doing things a bit wrong for them to be um, more grassroots and more vernacular. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with things shifting more and more online and how you can, like, really engage in things being more iterative and, um, and you know, like, like I trained as a print designer. And when it's printed, it's done, you know, whereas now we live in a world where everything can change, you know, relatively quickly. So what are the opportunities um, and how can we experiment with with those things? I think it's probably quite an exciting time. As all, You know, every, every, every time has been an exciting time to be a designer because we're really good at just responding to what's happening right now rather than um, having a set of um, tools that apply to a time past with, you know, it's a responsive industry. So let's see. Even that kind of sense of digital design um, and digital and online experiences, which I, yeah, I imagine will become a, part, a much bigger part of the way that we operate. But on the flip side, we're all getting really fatigued of being online and in front of screens all the time. So I can imagine kind of a whole other space really looking at what's the non-digital space looking like. Mm. And then you have the equal pressure of um, sustainability because actually we shouldn't be 
using packaging anymore. So what ha what happens there? Like, how do we redesign these experiences that are tactile without endangering the environment? There are so many great questions right now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Once this is all over, the whole climate crisis hasn't gone away. Um, so like, that's still there. That still needs action and a response. Yeah, and I think I think you kind of fed it straight into kind of what was my next question in terms of you know how you see this year panning out and um, what the next two years is going to look like and and what hopes that you have and what you're looking forward to. Um, and I think you touched on a good point there in terms of sustainability, even with in New Zealand going from level four to level three where we could get takeaways again, and looking at you know how much takeaway packaging had been spared in um, lockdown and then. It, um, being used again in terms of people being fearful about um, health and safety. So, um, yes, there's so many practical things that have kind of popped up uh, that will need to be rethought or resolved in different ways. And um, I imagine as designers we'll be all over that, and whether that's through communication or through actual output of a form, we're looking at packaging that serves not only a need for being sustainable but to allow... Uh, people to get takeaways or to take food home um, in ways that uh, work post-COVID. Um, and taking into account into account um, current context of COVID nineteen, wh like where did you see the future of design going before this, and, and where do you see it going now? Has it changed? Mm, I don't think it's changed necessarily. It may have accelerated it a little bit in terms of um, I think people are very conscious about the world around them and the people around them and um, the fragility of the world. And like Emma said, you know, at the moment it's, it's a virus. Um, um, if we can all collectively respond to a threat like we had to COVID, like what does that mean for the environment? You know, so they're, they're, I think on a societal level it's been interesting because you've had that collective action um, and I don't know what that means for the future, but it's something that makes me excited about um, collective action for good. To my previous point, we've just got to be there like to support those big thinkers and to make sure we're there to respond and make sure that they have the tools and the communications that that they need to like create this hopefully new new world that we're going to collectively achieve. Right, yeah. So like COVID, I guess... Yeah, COVID has taught us to welcome the unexpected um, and also, as Tana said, to know that we can and when we all put our minds together and we all collectively act in the same direction, we actually can affect change in a really massive way quite quickly, which is kind of an awesome learning to have. And I guess there's um, that kind of first week of lockdown, I, I feel like for most people was spent unlearning everything that we'd done or we kind of thought that we were doing in a, a certain kind of ritual or way of doing things. I guess, yeah, things will be different. I guess it's a, it's a little bit like staring into a crystal ball to understand how things will, or what will change, what will keep changing, what will revert back to ways that we were used to working in. Yeah, I think the biggest fear is that nothing changes and I think that's, that's quite feasibly what could happen. But I think yeah. you know, it's almost like we can't, we'll, we can't forget the feeling four weeks ago of being terrified. Yeah, all, and, all the feelings before that, that were so many of our friends um, 
clients and people who were talking about how exhausted they were all the time or how things weren't actually working in, in one way or another and how many people kind of felt quite exhausted um, with the way that things were. Uh, and so in some ways this has us has forced us to slow down and stop and there are some great kind of new ways of doing things and new rituals I think that have kind of popped up um, and so hopefully those things well the things that do work for us now can be taken forward and we're lucky that you know we're small we've got an um, amazing team of collaborators that we work with regularly that we love but we can adapt and that's the nice thing about working in the way that we work is that you know we're very nimble and we can mm. And on another note, um, I'm wondering, do you have a personal design or creative practice and and does that feed into your work as design design practitioners? Um, I mean, I do lots of things, but usually it's the opposite, like it's to get away from design practice. Um, So it's to, um, you know, it might have some slow kind of digestive kind of um, influence, but it's usually just to... Um, work intuitively and to do something meditative. So I I do drawing, I do watercolours amongst other things and it's really about the meditative kind of state of doing because I feel like that's one area where, you know, screens have um, kind of, you know, it's the one thing that we that's kind of a little bit broken about our industry, way too much time in front of screens. So usually what I do outside is, yeah, it's about muscle memory more than anything. Yeah, and I think as a kid has kind of grown up, um, we've realised more and more how important that is, A, to kind of get away from the screens and B, to have a way to express things in other forms, um, which is something we um, kind of initially uh, through Dog, 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 which we um, also have a small online uh, dog product company. And that kind of didn't kind of, I guess, play out as we thought in terms of getting our hands dirty, but we, it came from that kind of impulse of a sense that we're so connected to a screen and in our heads so much of the time. So in the same kind of way, um, but in, in different kind of takes, I've um, explored practices such as um, pickling and preserving things in jars um, under kind of, a na- uh, under Emma Makes, and that has been really great to kind of get out of my chair slash laptop shape that I kind of spend most of the day in for non-monetary ways of trading through gifting and and swapping and kind of building a community in that way and I found that really um, quite great exploring that reciprocity um, and bringing together both kind of a love of design but in a different way and some other study um, that I'm doing in uh, permaculture philosophy so kind of bringing different ways of thinking into my practice, I'm sure it kind of, again, like Tana says, it will kind of leak in um, in various ways. And then currently I'm looking to build a directory of women and non-binary people working in the trades um, industry of Aotearoa, New Zealand, which again is a different, for me, an exploration of community building in a different way um, and being hands-on and being kind of almost... Uh, over and being client side um, and I find that really interesting too so yeah I all vaguely connected to design and I'm sure it feeds back but yeah definitely keen on um, knowing that when design and akin isn't the only thing going on for us it actually strengthens akin in its own way yeah yeah, yeah. and you know and, and like a weekend off can be the best thing the best side hustle when you're a graphic designer 
because you're just out looking and being. And I think that answers my question about what you do to kind of disconnect and reconnect then. question <laughs> <laughs> ahead. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> um, and, yeah, finally, I just wonder if you have any kind of words of wisdom for other designers and creators out there that you'd like to impart. I know, just um, for me, it would be just <laughs> do keep it interesting to you. Like just do the things that you love because that's how you'll be good. Like, don't feel the, I guess, the pressure to um, work in certain ways if you're not comfortable. Like, just continue exploring the things that excite you. And ignore all the rest because the rest is just noise, I think. Like, have your own way. You be you. (laughs) Thank you very much for um, joining me today. It's been really interesting to hear about where you've come from and um, all about Akin. Thanks, Emma and Tana.